We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We So, Parth, hello. We have a podcast. So it's nice to see you. You're looking well. Yep. Likewise. Um, What have you been eating? Just had some Trader Joe's banana bread with a fork. I just, when I'm done eating a little bit of it, rather than put the fork away, I just like jam the fork into the banana bread. Like I indent it. Nice. And then I keep it there for later. And then it's just like banana bread on the go. What would we you? I haven't had anything today. But last night... Wait, that's against the rules. Well, I had it at 12 a.m. Tell me to go jam something like past, in past midnight. I had a Domino's pizza and nice. a lava cake from Domino's. Wait, the lava cakes from Domino's are like an underrated piece of Americana. I, I agree. There's nothing more American than having chocolate and chocolate with some sugar on top, you know? And uh, Especially when it's following a large pepperoni pizza. Well, I guess not pepperoni. Not pepperoni, but still. Cheese? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's what I've been having. Nice. And what is the 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 movie of the week this week? Because it's not like chronological to how these interviews occurred, you know? Is that true? Oh, yeah. It's not. Um, and we don't do that a lot. Well, why don't we cue the intro and then let's, let's keep them on the ropes. Let's have them figure out what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Wait, they already know what's going to happen. They've clicked on this episode. Yeah, exactly. Well, well enjoy whatever for episode us. this is. Yeah. yeah. Cue the intro. Welcome back craft services where we talk about the movies each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture this week trent who do we have benjamin loeb the cinematographer of such films as pieces of a woman after yang uh, when you finish saving the world and our film for this week mandy which we talked about with him yes in an interview when we interviewed him you remember yeah no, I remember. It was a few days ago. Um, and it was magical, mystical, and a little scary at how good he was at an- answering our questions, you know? Yeah, concerned me. All right. But, yes, yeah, super nice guy. Super nice of him to get to donate some of his time. Um, talking about, like, some long takes, one pieces of a woman. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of Mandy talks about lens flares. What's not to like? You know, his his daughter makes an appearance. Yes, yes, um, and him running to go find a charger too. I hope you don't you don't edit that out. I I already cut that part out. No, but... that was like dramatic though. And and in like uh, I already edited this out because it wasn't very sonically interesting. You couldn't really tell what was happening. But um, while he ran to get his charger. We also saw his dog, and you could see that on our Instagram. Also, did you? You were sniffling the whole interview. Did you edit out all your sniffles? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, 
that I, was... I, I, I tried to contain myself as much as I could, but I was, you know, it was I, early I, in the morning. I was on the brink of texting you, Parth, blow your damn nose, but I didn't want to didn't want to poke the bear, you know? The bear? Yeah, no, that's what they call me. Um, no, this, this is, this is, this episode's to a smash, off to a smashing start, so why don't we just cue the interview, huh? Sure, and then, I mean, they'll see us again after the interview for a brief. Yeah, ideally. A brief Ideally, debrief. they'd stay. Till the end. I mean, how long's the interview? Something like 40 minutes. That's cool. Let's cut to it now. Cue the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Benjamin Loeb. He's the cinematographer behind such films as Pieces of a Woman, After Yang, When You Finish Saving the World, and our film for today, Mandy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So just to start off, what would you say your relationship with film was at a young age? It was my way out of academia. It was my sort of escape route from anything that had to do with school or tasks that had to be done that I didn't want to do. I think it's kind of a cliche, but I, I started out with, you know, shitty skiing videos in my backyard and it, it sort of evolved into, you know, a, a, like a sidekick course at high school where we were allowed to do other things than do homework. Um, and I just figured out that this was something that I was more interested in than everything else that I was doing. And how did you gravitate towards the camera department through that? Originally, I think I was more interested in, in editing. I wanted to, you know, find a gig where I could sit in a place and sort of put together things. And I figured out the edit room was a, a good place to piece, piece, piecemeal things together. Um, and I even started a I started a technical school in Norway after high school where I was like, I'm going to be an editor. I want to I want to learn how to edit things together and, and be that you know be that sort of end of the train kind of person. Um, and as footage came in, I was like, I don't like the way this looks. I don't like the way this feels like I can't edit this cause it sucks. Um, and again, no offense to any of those things, but I think end all be all, I was just, I wanted to be in control of the way things looked and then edit. And I still love the editing process. And it's still something that I, I, I speak very highly of in terms of, you know, I think it's a DP's responsibility to understand the process of editing and understand pacing and, and those things in relation to blocking. Um, but it was just sort of a natural transition from from the edit room into controlling what the footage looked like so that you don't have to edit it. So w- what was the first real like film project that you worked on in any capacity, I guess, in the camera department? Or how did you find yourself on set? I think it was meeting like the first real, like I've, I've done a lot of, you know, I did a lot of documentaries through high school and all these things, but nothing, the first time I sort of felt like I was on an actual set shooting a, 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 a short film, I think was my first year at this high, like art school in, in Vancouver where I met a friend of mine who wrote these scripts and I was like, I want to work with you. And he wrote something called wait. And it was a, a single take short film about a clown going to this birthday party and the whole film was just the clown trying to opening the trunk and get the balloons out and the balloons essentially just float out and float up into the air so it's like him on the phone trying to talk to this person who's booking another booking another gig for him and it goes terribly wrong and all the balloons float up and the camera tilts up and you just see the balloons leaving frame and that's it was a single take thing and i was like this is fun like you can do things without editing if you're 
if the blocking is right. And so uh, how did you end up working on Mandy? My involvement in Mandy was, a, I think it was a little bit of a, of a fluke in many ways. Like I've, you know, I spent a lot of time in Vancouver, where, which is where Panos is from. And he worked with um, a very good friend of mine, Norm Lee, who shot Beyond the, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Um, and in my mind, it was always, you know, Norm is going to shoot Mandy and that's it. Um, but what happened was um, Mandy was financed by a Belgium by a, like a Belgian financing system where there was Belgian money. So the, the film had to be shot in Europe. And because it has to be shot in Europe, it, it needed, you know, European tax, like sort of tax points or whatever, the way you break it up. And they needed a European DP. And they had this Belgian DP who uh, sadly was unavailable or to my to my success, I guess. He was unavailable. Not when so Nick sadly Cage broke, for you. Not so sadly for me. He broke his, Nick Cage broke his ankle and was, suddenly available after a number of months and at that point the other guy wasn't available and i think panos who who knew that i was from norway originally um he sort of just i just got the script in my inbox and a call from panos saying watch these movies let's do this together and 12 days later i was on i was prepping so before we dive into the film of the week uh, Mandy, your clown balloon long take reminded me of uh, the long take, the twenty-two minute long take in Pieces of a Woman, which I just watched the other day. And you were also the DP of that movie, and I'd love to hear about it. And you talk about blocking, and that scene is all blocking, you know. Starting as an editor, like I, I, I feel like there's a we've sort of gotten to position in in sort of time of filmmaking where any DP can make pretty imagery, and I think. Um, you know, in many ways, I feel I feel really lucky to have been put in the positions that I have with the directors that I have. But I will say there's something that interests me more than other things. And those are working with directors who, you know, for example, Cornell comes from comes from opera and theater. Um, Koganada from after Yang started as a video essayist in, in academia. And there's something really, really. And again, like Panos came up under his dad George and it's like one of those things where he his again everybody has their own influence that is sort of nuanced from a different place and with pieces I don't know Cornell just gave sort of he was like this you know can this be a one take should we make it a one take and like absolutely like this is one of those things that really makes sense and you can bend time in a different way and you have Again, Shia, who's a method actor, who you know will deliver 30 good minutes. Vanessa, who's amazing. You know they're going to be... And and you create this environment where everybody, including myself, you're put in a position where every single move you make has potential to destroy the entirety of the scene. And the stakes are so high that I feel like there's a temporality to the process where what you do in this moment, be it right or wrong, it still impacts the whole, the whole, like the whole scene in a way that is so... Like it's filled with adrenaline, um, and that scene specifically was, you know, fun fun to do that way. I, I'd never operated a gimbal. I didn't necessarily like gimbals, but it was like I hired this dude who was supposed to do it. And he messaged me a couple of days before and was like, "I don't feel comfortable with this. You should do it yourself then." And I was like, "I've I haven't held a gimbal for thirty seconds, let alone you know thirty minutes." Um, nice. So it was, again, I like I like the challenge. How many takes do you think you did on that shot? If you have a- any idea, we did we did six takes, and that was take four on day one. Whoa! Wow. So so it's like you got it, and then you did two more for for posterity. You know? 
Yeah, we we got like I don't know. You, I think everybody has been in a position where you you're working towards one specific element. You get you get that element sort of you know like well, I think we're happy, but let's try to get it better. And at that point, as soon as you try to get as soon as you get greedy and you're like we're gonna do better than this, you you actually don't like that. That was it. And I've been in that position many times where, um, you know, there there's never perfection in that scenario. Like you can, you can try and work towards perfection, but you lose something else. We had takes that were better for camera, but performance, there's something that happens when it's immediate and before it becomes, you know, too, too much about, oh, the camera had a little bump here, um, which it's not about in the end. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but how did they turn the baby blue so fast? Or did they have like a swap baby? There was a swap baby. But there wasn't that. But I will say that turning the baby blue was a part of uh, VFX. We did not choke. The, we did not choke the baby. I wasn't accusing you of choking the baby. <laughs> but Parth? Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to ask about working with Panos and like what your guys's collaboration is like, what that looks like, both on and off set. Well, at the point of, of Mandy, when that came up, I had I didn't really know Panos that well. Um, I knew his work and I knew the circle he ran in and we'd met a couple of times on different things, but I didn't really know him. Um, so I sort of went in knowing that Panos has a, has an imagination and a brain that most people don't like he's, his, he's willing to go to places that other people aren't willing to go. Um, and I knew that no matter what I thought about the process, no matter how much I liked the references or not, this would be a, an opportunity for myself to sort of shed my skin and, and, try something different um so i sort of went into the process like incredibly open i you know i was a person who wanted to shoot you know scandinavian social realism um and this is as far away from that as you get so what kind of camera were you using on mandy and uh if digital how did you achieve the film grain i'll say this much i wonder if i have it here i think i don't um the the Mandy script I do ooh, Mandy screenplay by Panos Cosmatos and Aaron Stewart on story by Lenora Thor Tor White Draft first sentence this motion picture is presented in sixteen millimeter anamorphic cinemascope black screen silence um, no I, I read I read that and I knew that Panos was like this is this this film is on film we're shooting sixteen it's anamorphic um, and then there was a Bond company who financed the movie and they said fuck no you're not shooting film because we don't trust you guys. Um, so it was a bit of a, you know, we tried to push film for daily, for daytime scenes. Um, and again, like I came in, I had 10, 12 days of prep pre-production before the movie started shooting as well. So I didn't have a ton of time to prep the film. Um, so from the, mo- like from the moment I read the script to the moment where we were standing on, on like in, produ- in the production office prepping until production was like, 22 days total so i knew that i had to get into the headspace of panos as quickly as possible understand the script as well as i can as quickly as possible and then adapt to the visuals as quickly as possible and i knew that film would take time so i was kind of we were kind of in agreement that i think under the circumstances digital was the right way to go and we ended up shooting uh, on the alexa mini with uh, primo anamorphics which are the probably in from what i know like the biggest anamorphics you can get they're they're incredibly beautiful um and i i, re- I generally love the primo glass but i remember we had a producer 
who sort of came up to me and there was a lot of there were a lot of nerves going around with with Nick Cage and Mandy and how crazy it was and how fucked up the schedule was and I remember the producer coming up to me and was like Ben if we can't make the schedule you're gonna have to jump in and go handheld run and gun you know that right and I was like no that's not a part of the language like that's not what Panos and I are talking about and I wasn't trying to be an asshole um, but I essentially built the biggest camera I could possibly build so that putting it on my shoulder was impossible and that's what we did so what lenses uh, or like uh, what like Len- focal lengths? I yeah. Guess. What focal lengths were you shooting mostly on? And do you have like a token, like grab the 35 and go sort of thing? I don't remember. I'm, I'm pretty positive. There was a 35, a 50, a 75, a 100. We have a, we had an Optimo 10 or Primo 10 to one that I think became an, became an ingenieur zoom. The zoom we lived on quite a bit. And I think between the, 35 50 75 we sort of lived in that range for the most part and then we had this beautiful 12 mil primo spherical lens that we use quite a bit like there's moments where we're in the the like the weird scientists place where the tiger is um the super wide stuff was on like the 12 the 10 or 12 mil um i think it was a 10 mil uh primo um so it was a little bit of a mixture of different glass that we ended up using and did you use storyboards very heavily, or was it just shot lists, or what was that? Part parts of the film, parts of the film were storyboarded. Let's see, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but I, I'm looking at them now, so I have I'm sort of reminding myself. Um, there were there were numbers of like a number of scenes were storyboarded, uh, and a lot of those scenes were specifically dealing with VFX or SFX um, elements. Um, and then there was a lot of stuff that was not storyboarded, but stuff that had characters fighting or axes landing in people's heads, like that stuff was generally broken down into imagery um, by a storyboard artist. Um, but we, we used it more as a, as a starting point for conversation more than anything. Um, but parts of the film were, yes. And so speaking about the anamorphics, uh, we have some questions about like the lens flares and they're like per- like you know, they have very particular colors and we were wondering how you achieved that the the primo anamorphics tend to have i feel like the panavision anamorphics in general tend to have like a blue blue type of flare um a lot of it was built in i remember on day one panos had asked me to put like x amounts of filters in front of the lens and i had probably like a, a chocolate like a chocolate one and a couple of grads and an ND9. So there's probably four or so stacked in front of the lens. And then he wanted a flare on top of that. So I had an M18, like 10 feet from the lens, shining directly into it full, full spot. And I think we just talked about it being like, we, we don't have, we don't have time to do this every single day in this, in this way. Um, but we ended up having a setup where I had like, I had a Dito light that I would always have as a direct hard source for, for a flare in any, in any scene. Um, and then I had these like led light sticks that I would stick inside the, um, I would put inside the mat box. Um, so if there was like a soft, if there was a soft push or light from, from the right side, then I would put it on the right hand side of the mat box. If it came from bottom or top, it would be bottom top. Um, so I'd always try to motivate some kind of flare, um, from the key side of, of, uh, of our scene. Um, and then at the end of the shoot, we, we did end up shooting a bunch of plates, um, I shot some uh, some flare plates, um, and then 
Uh, so I'd say like 70% of the flares are in camera baked in 15% of the flares were plates that we shot, you know, after wrap on set. And then we had another, we had another set session of shooting flares in Vancouver once Panos had a bit of an edit and we were like, Oh, this shot is missing something. Let's actually shoot a plate for the specific thing. Um, so we would bake in a couple more things. And I think the final, the final flares we shot on some Lomos. So they have a slightly different uh, aesthetic. They're less blue and a bit more warm. Um, but yeah, most of it was baked in. Um, so another question we had was that, so at the beginning in the forest, there's scenes where it looks like the forest is completely like green, like the light. Um, and I was wondering, how do you light a sequence like that that I assume was outdoors, where you're, where you have to fill up the entire scene with light? Because there's a few scenes in this movie that are just like one very dominant color. So like, how did you do that? I think originally, like again, I came in so late in the process that I was like, I need to protect myself, and I, I think we had a two day tech scout and I just said, I need a crane here and a lift here and an eating cake here and here and here and here and here. And then after the tech scout, I think the line producer essentially came up to me and she's like, then you're a hundred thousand euros over budget. What are you going to do? I went to Panos and I said, Hey man, like this is where I'm at. What, what are you interested in? And he's like, well, let's kill everything that's like connected to ambience. There is no moonlight. There is no ambience whatsoever. Let's just, make it dark and practical. So a lot of the stuff we started motivating off of like what's in the frame and we're like, Oh, these, these, these car, like these cars have pretty nice taillights. Let's start building that into it. And we did some testing with filters and I had this red filter that we really fell in love with. And we sort of started thinking that we, we'd, we'd really embrace these primary, these primary tones, specifically red. Um, but I will say like we had moments where we had scenes that would go from, you know, na- like not naturalism, but, you know, a normal context into like a fire tone into red. Um, and there were, so there were moments I would essentially have a red filter on and I could light normally or for the red filter. There were moments where I would light just in red light and let the other things play as they were. And then there were moments where we had to tra- transition between all, th- like all three of them in a way. Um, and at that point it became, you know, building in, building in light changes and cues and the lighting so that you can go from one setting to another sort of through DMX and just having someone operate that for me as the moment became the right moment. So did you have uh, much or any involvement with the animated dream sequences? Not, not any more than uh, Panos explained to me what they were going to be. Uh, and we shot, we shot elements or plates of some of them, um, but they became slightly different than, I don't think all of them are even in the film at this point. Um, so there's a scene where Mandy is laughing at the cult leader, and it's got this weird, like, fading look um, where you can see... I don't even really know how to explain it, but I, I assume you know what I'm talking about, so if you could talk about it. Yeah, it's the moment, like, she's she's brought into the room through the hallway, and then she sits down, and he, he unveils his, his cock to her, and she starts yeah. laughing, right? Um, I think we talked about all of those as like, um, I think, I think the idea really came from the sort of blending scene where, um, where the, the, the face morphing happens, um, where we, like we panels, I think he even wrote it in to the script pretty specifically. And it became this thing where we wanted to 
create a, a feeling of like morphing and overlaying, but we wanted it to be be done perfectly in camera. So we had everyone like we had everything line up in the right way. Um, and I actually have to. I wonder if I have it here. I need to remind myself what that looks like. Are you scrubbing through the movie currently? Yeah. <laughs> we had so many different, there's so many ideas in this film that it's, and it's been a while since I've talked about Mandy for better or worse. I feel like the, the further away from it you get, the more, the more you appreciate what it actually is. Do you feel like you like hate the stuff you make and like you hate to look at it like immediately after you make it? Or are you able to kind of distance yourself no, from awful. it? It's awful. So that never goes away. It never goes away. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love I love this. Like there's a, me and Pat has talked about it, but I think the way that, uh, so the scene that you're talking about where he unveils himself and everything, that has like a, it was shot with red light and there's, there's, a, there's a secondary layer that is slightly slower than the main, the main action that is sort of drifting and feathering off and it has a blue, a blue tone. And I, lo- I love the way that came out. I think it, it again, it felt different. Um, but this is what I think is exciting about someone like Panos because uh, he might have ideas that are not translatable with words that are they're in his head and he's able to do it in a way that nobody understands and you just have to be you have to be so all in um, and just keep staying on it because I had I had moments on set where Panos would ask me for something and I'd be like Panos that looks like shit like we shouldn't do that and he's like just do it please and I'm like okay here it is. And I would do, I would do whatever it was. And I'd be like, Oh, kind of looks different. I like it. Let's go. Um, can you speak on the chainsaw fight? Like not one chainsaw, but two, two chainsaws, you know, chainsaw, two chainsaws versing each other. I want to rewatch this movie now. Right. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know if, um, you know, Panos had this little pitch, like not a pitch deck, but a pitch, like a, a booklet that was sort of like the Mandy booklet that was, this is what the film feels like. Um, which uh, one of the main frames in that, if I, this is so fun, guys. I get to go back into Mandy again. Look at, look at all your old documents. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny. Like I never, I never looked at that booklet being like, Oh, I'm going to make it look exactly like this, but it obviously imprinted a very specific idea of what that feeling was. And then again, it has these two characters with chainsaws with these two construction lights in the background. And it, it feels very similar. Um, what I can say was it's, it's hard. Like we had, um, we had a stunt team that was really, you know, on choreography and building this all out so that we can shoot it in a specific way. Um, but since neither Panos nor I are action driven people, um, it was, again, there was a lot of nervousness going on around the production and they were like, you have to listen to these people and we need all of these elements to build it. Um, and I think it was sort of for better or worse. Um, I didn't like the idea of following the lead of someone who isn't Panos in terms of blocking for those scenes. And they were like, you need these types of shots and you need the insert of this and the insert of that. And I totally understand that for any other film. Um, So I kind of, I don't know if I was slightly annoyed or I wanted to just add a take on it. And because we had so little time, 
and because the setups of the fight sequences, all of them in some way felt like, you know, when you play Mortal Kombat or Tekken and you're sort of in this 2D world and everything is like, here's the world and now you fight. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, okay, cool. Let's put three sides, make it three dollies and sort of approach it sort of like, here's your level and now do it and let's try and play with it. Yeah. Let's try and play with it in a, in a less sort of, I don't know, less try hard action way and more like two characters go. So like speaking of this shot or sequence of where like you kind of just let it play out the sequence where Nick Cage is breaking down in the bathroom after I guess spoilers for a four year old movie, Mandy dies. Um, uh, can you talk about shooting that sequence? You know, Nick was always like on top of his game. He was always ready for anything. He was 100% gung ho. You know, whatever we asked of him, he would do it. No question that. No questions asked. And for this one, which was like a, you know, Nick Cage, please go crazy. We want the we want the ninja eyes. We want the crying. We want all of we want all of it in one scene. And you know he would get ready for this, and he would you know, and we had this light gag that was kind of annoying, where he walks into the room and turns on the light, and this light has to turn off the moment he hits the switch. Uh, and I don't know what how we messed it up. We messed it up four times, I think. Uh, and each time, you know, he he sort of had to go and reset himself and be like, okay, fuck, like now now it comes back in, like fuck, and go back out again and again. And the time it worked. I think he'd worked himself so much, so like worked himself up so much that he was kind of pissed off. Um, mm. So the stuff that he was going to like his wife was pulled, dead, <laughs> like his wife was dead, and he pulled you know the stuff that he pulled out of the the cupboards, like the three other takes. You know, he just he pulled them out in a slightly more controlled manner. Uh, and this time he was he somehow everything had like a a reach that was like another seven feet further. So all the stuff that was thrown and pulled out sort of landed everywhere. And we didn't notice that there was a piece of like a towel or a t-shirt that landed on the dolly tracks. So when, you know, we were like, oh shit, the lighting gag worked. Like let's push in and we push in and all of a sudden the dolly stops and I'm like, what's going on? And we roll and suddenly the dolly goes back a little bit and the towel or t-shirt gets pulled off and we roll back over. And that exact moment is in like, you sort of feel like it pushes forwards and then it stops and there's like a little, uh, and that it was all uh, by chance and a mistake uh, but it somehow is well it definitely was the best performance and it definitely is the right take and it has imperfection in a beautiful way it's crazy how like 50 years from now someone could be looking at that at this movie in like a film class and then they're analyzing why you take that little pause in the middle and they're thinking of all the artistic reasons but it's a towel on the dolly track you know yeah, sometimes sometimes it, it's really really simple. So so I mean, have you like grown to like love that moment and like you think it works, or, or do you like tense up whenever you see it because you want it to be like a smooth push in and you hope that people don't notice? I tense I tense up, but I also realize that you know I've you know leaving leaving the set of Mandy, I was like, oh, I wish we could have done this better and that better, and I wish there was more perfection involved. And I missed it. I wish it was cleaner here and more thought out here. And then when I think about it, and you really look at, you really talk about the references that Panos had and and what he wanted to achieve. And you know, he had movies like Days of Thunder, the the Hitcher, uh, uh, shit, Temple of Doom, Fist of the North Star. It was like these are movies that inherently. 
uh, Mandy is an homage to the 80s and 90s action movies uh, to bad taste but done done well and done with intention and intent Um, so I'm I commend Panos for going to the place that he went because nobody else is willing to go there. Um, and again, I think the movie is what it is because of the lack of prep and because of the lack of precision and because of the lack of some of these things. Um, so I, I feel like in some ways Mandy is exactly what it needs to be and wants to be. So I guess we're done with like Mandy questions, but I was going to ask, um, do you think you have a particular style that you bring to every project or do you kind of mold yourself to whatever the project requires? Um, I I definitely had a style uh, pre-Mandy. I had a style and a taste that I felt very strongly about and it was, it was hard to shed that for Mandy in some ways, but exciting because I think, I think Mandy kind of released it in a way where I realized that as a DP, um, the last thing I want to do is to repeat myself and do the same thing over and over again, because at a certain point you essentially are doing what you've done a hundred times before and it doesn't change. So I, I like the idea of, you know, you, you build up tools and you have you this you know hypothetical backpack on your back and all the elements that you learned and you've been a part of there, they collect in that backpack and you're able to essentially go into a movie. But what I do is I leave, I leave that backpack at home and I try and start from scratch, you know, putting tools into a new bag. So, like, I don't know. I think it's it's important to sort of start from scratch with any project and listen to the director and figure out what the vision and intention is and then build tools from scratch. And then once you have the sort of base, the base, fund, like the fundamental understanding of what something is, then you start borrowing from borrowing from other films or other projects you've been on and start sort of filling it out in a way. Um but I definitely, you know, obviously I have a taste and I have a style and I feel like, you know, over the last six, seven years, I've shot a number of projects where I've been challenged and put in positions that I've never been in before. And my goal now is to uh, sort of find find my way back into my own voice a little bit more. Not to say that I need to direct at all, but I want to find, I want to work with people who have a distinct voice and a distinct inten- intention where the process becomes how you know, you as a director and I as a DP can explore those intentions and, and bring something different to, to a film in general. What would you say your style was like pre Mandy? I had like, people make, made fun of me. I, I loved shooting people's backs. I was like, every shot is a person's back then. Why, why don't we see the face? And I was like, well, isn't it interesting to not see the person's face? It's so, it's nice. Cause you see the person's back and you can envision the person's face and it's way better than seeing the face all the time. Um, I don't know if I, it's hard to describe a style, but it was, I don't know. It was based in realism. Um, it was definitely, you know, everything was motivated by realism. Mandy was the first time where someone said, Ben, fuck motivation. Just put it where it looks great. Um, and I think you need, you need a bit of both. Um, and I think in terms of, again, in terms of taste, it's, I don't know. I, I, I like to give an audience credit. Like I think you don't need to explain anything. And I think plot di- plot driven movies are somewhat boring and you're sort of spoon fed and led along the whole way. Whereas all you want to do is be given a chance to sort of build things in your imagination a little bit, sort of the same way as reading a book where you, you know, the, the images are in your head. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I, re- I recently saw 
I rewatched The Mountain by Rick Alberson. And watching The Mountain, it's like any time a piece of information is about to be given to you, he cuts. And you're like, fuck yeah. Like, thank you for not giving me the information because now, like, you build, you fill in the gaps and you always do. And it just becomes a much more participatory experience, giving the audience credit and letting them think for themselves. Trent, I'm done with Mandy. Are you cool if I move on to? Okay. So you also shot movie after Yang. And I was wondering what that process was like, how, what it was like shooting that movie. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have seen Columbus, like Coronado's first film. Um, if uh, you no. haven't, it is beautiful and wonderful. And it, uh, you know, I, I read, I read Mandy, or sorry, after Yang. Um, and I was sort of try, trying to figure out what the script was and where it came from. And then I saw Columbus and I was like, holy shit, like this guy, this guy comes from a different place. Um, and sort of going back to this idea of letting people think for themselves and, you know, giving an audience credit and room and space to, you know, space for world building in their own mind. Um, it was awesome. Uh, it's been a long time since I've worked with a, director who is this sort of zen and interested in the same things that as i am where it's you know it's not about you know i meet enough people who sort of goes you know i need to see the person's eyes to connect with this person emotionally and uh, at a certain point you just want to see a person far away from you in a different room and you want to see the context of how this person behaves and acts within the space um hello they can hear you, but you can't hear them. I can't hear you. I can't can I, hear you. Can I look at Friday? No, no. Okay, fine. Bye. 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 <laughs> Rogue child. Um, I, have, I have. I only have one, but I have three in my house right now. Um. No, it's again like he Kogunoda is. Has, <laughs> this is this is my this is my normal life. So you're like, does um, that happen on your work calls? <laughs> oh yeah, all the time, all the time. And at this point, I'm just I'm just used to it. And sort of like uh, nobody's physically included those moments into anything. So you guys should. No. I, oh yeah. No. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it's um. It was refreshing to talk to someone who thought about human presence and space in the same way that I did, um, where, you know, that makes up for a lot of the emotional disconnections that you don't get from a face or, you know, it becomes a different conversation. So what are you working on now or what do you have being released next, if you're at liberty to say? I just, we had the premiere of this movie called Sick of Myself that premiered at Con this year, same program as After Yang in Uncertain Regard, which is directed by a guy named Christopher Borgley, um, who I personally think is an incredible um, director with a different approach to life and a view on things. Uh, if you haven't seen his short films, they're amazing. Um, and specifically, if you haven't seen Ear, E-E-R, uh, it gives you an idea of, of what type of person Chris is. But we made a movie in, in Norway last summer that premiered in Cannes. Um, hopefully, we'll do its, its its rounds. And then him and I are, are prepping um, a movie called Dream Scenario in, in the U.S. So that's our, our next plan. Where's it shooting, if you know yet? Well, 
it was supposed to shoot in LA. Um, it was, um, I don't know if I can say, I probably can't because it was, well, it, w- it was an Adam Sandler movie, which I thought was, would have been oh. fun. But yeah, we were supposed to shoot in LA and we were, we were in, um, we were prepping where we were supposed to go into prep in March and we were supposed to be, uh, this is week four of production. If we were, <laughs> if we stuck to our schedule, um, but we lost Adam last minute, which was a bummer. Was it because of his, I mean, I guess you don't know, but was it because of the new, like, um, the guys that made Uncut Gems, aren't they making a movie with him? They're making a, they're making a new Safdie movie. Mm. Uh, I think this yeah. fall. So there's this, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but there's things happened. Um, dates didn't align after all. Um, so we've been in recasting for a while and hoping to go back into production in a month or two. Cool. Well, Parth, I do you think it's time for the big kahuna final question? No, Trent, I, I think it's time to unleash it. Unleash it. Uh, so the big kahuna final question is just, what's the last great movie you watched? And it could be a rewatch or a new viewing. Fly Away Home. Wow, that was a, such a quick answer. Usually our guests are like, dying at this yeah, I watched it. I watched it yesterday. And? It's good? And, and I was like, it's great. It's It has Jeff Daniels trying to figure out how to get ducks to fly south. I'm like, does it get any better? I grew, I grew up with the, I grew up watching the Black Stallion, so I've always had a, a bit of a soft spot for for these films, but uh, no, if, I, if I'm dead serious, uh, the last great movie I saw was A White White Day. Uh, it's an Icelandic movie called Vítur Vítur Dagur. The director is a video artist from Iceland who also made a movie called Winter Brothers and it has a new movie at Con this year called Godland. Um, and there are not many filmmakers today that are still able to make films that I feel like sort of have a place in ga- a gallery setting or has a different type of attention to the cinematic in- uh, to, to the cinematic language in a way that I don't know. I, I become really inspired by this stuff. Um, and I find anyone who's able and willing to sort of challenge the film medium and the way we think about the film medium, um, it, it's it's special. Um, so White White Day probably is my my last greatest watch. Awesome. Trent, uh, do you want to close us out? Sure. Thanks so much uh, to Benjamin Loeb. Uh, he's been the DP behind such films as Pizza of a Woman after Yang. When you finish Saving the World and our film for this week, Mandy, uh, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. After a num- number a number of emails back and forth trying to figure out when. Oh, Parth is the email. He's I the apologize. scheduling god. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm glad our schedule's aligned. aligned. Oh. Yeah. So right. well, thank you for doing this uh, stuff. It's always, it's always nice to talk to good humans who are just generally interested so thanks we, we like to you're... pride ourselves on being good humans yeah you seem like a human being yourself you know yes welcome back from the interview just like yeah. that yeah, for you guys, there was a 40-minute pause in between and a whole interview. But for Trent and I, I just after I said cue the interview, I just immediately said welcome back. 
Yeah, it's um, sort of like a jab at me. Like you don't want to, like you're ready to be not recording anymore. Was well, it's only because Trent has 16 minutes of recording time, so well, I don't hey, want, hey, I want hey. to make but sure. By this I point, sure I, we're good. By this, by this point, I only have 10 minutes remaining, but you could take your time. Oh, that's my bad. That's my bad. I'm, I mean, we one of us would have to get shot with a shotgun for the remainder of this episode to last 10 minutes. And we would just have to keep rolling because that well, would be Well, if we good. were shot... Uh, oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say, if someone shot us with a sh- one of us with a shotgun, I'd say that the interview was done. Uh, one of us would be ideally over to the other's house to save Help? them. Yeah, or calling 911, I suppose. But don't you think that would be like the most engaging thing that's happened on our show? And When you put it that way, you should be running over here to get my Audacity file if I'm the mm. one that gets shot so that we have that, you know? And not just the, the the lower quality MP3, you want the WAV file? Yeah, I want... Yeah. Give me the WAV file. Give me that uncompressed file. You okay, know? Parth. Um, um, so are, are we at liberty to disclose what movie comes next? Or like what... I know that we're doing the Mandy discussion with friend of the show, Jackson Clark. Yeah, he's making his fourth appearance on the show. We just keep doing movies that he feels strongly about. Yeah. Except Um, for like Edge of Tomorrow, which was sort of just a celebrity visit. Or Defy Bloods. I don't think he cared that much about that movie. Yeah, we we were just early on. That was our he was our first guest ever. Yeah. Wow. Um, but next week we're doing our discussion with Jackson Clark. The week after, I don't I don't want to spoil because it hasn't it's happening tomorrow, this interview. Mm. Yes. So you can find out what it is next week. But let's just say we hope you feel the need for this interview. So does that mean you I know? have to watch that movie by tomorrow? Um, if you could watch it today, it'd be great. I mean, I guess you don't strictly need to see the movie, but it would help. There you go. You see, transmission was to get me to watch the movies before the discussion. And now that I've gotten to do that, I think it's only fair that I ask Trent to watch the movies before the interviews. Yeah, it is. Wait, can is Jordan there? Jordan was a, supposed to make an appearance on this intro. Jordan, it's the end of the episode. Do you want to come on? Just say hi. Speak to the people. Hi, Parth. Hello, hey, the Jordan. people of the the humble, uh, loyal listeners of Craft Services. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, do you want to close us out? Yeah. Uh, how, like, what do you recommend? Like, how should I do it? Should we go well, out just with the where, 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 where can you listen to us? Hint: It's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Just hint. Hey guys, um, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, or ever, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so. should they rate our show? <laughs> and you guys should really Trent, rate you Trent, you should settle down and let your woman do this, okay? Um, you should rate the podcast. How many stars? Five stars, preferably. Should yeah. they leave a review or just like... <laughs> this is so dense. Um, yeah, you guys should leave a review. Um, rate it five stars. You know, do all of the the nice things that you would do to a podcast that you really enjoy. Yeah, no, for sure. And mm-hmm. like, if they wanted to follow our social media, like, where should <laughs> they go? If you want to follow the... So- <laughs> There's a Twitter... Mm-hmm. Um, an Instagram, a Facebook. No, you had the, no. the, those are the only two. We're not that <clears throat> smart. 
Um, no, right? Um, anyway. So you could follow Craft Services on Twitter and Facebook at Craft Services. At yep. Craft Services Podcast. Yeah. At Craft Services Podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> Jordan. I've Jordan. only ever listened to one episode of Craft Services. Well, Jordan. Well, now now it is. But before, I would have assumed that you're a Craft Services connoisseur. But um, so it's interesting. Jordan, what episode that... of Craft Services are you going to come on for? You're going to be the celebrity, the celebrity guest. I'm going to be the celebrity guest on a on a podcast for an episode, uh, for an episode of the podcast for a movie that I genuinely like. Um, preferably, um, Mulholland Drive, if that's possible, or uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, um, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there might Marth- be some interesting develop. There might be Jesus, some interesting. So we'll see what he can do. There might be some interesting developments in the Jordan coming on the show field. Really? um, Yeah. No, but we'll see. Yeah, but stay tuned. And in the meantime, rate the show five stars. Boom. Right? Boom. Craft services, out.